coming up on verse chorus verse our first interview of the year and unfortunately it's kind of a small one right sven just a little just a little it's like that scene in wayne's world where like i should be doing the whole bow down like not worthy we're yeah Yeah. that's next Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL. With me is Spend. How the hell did we get this person to interview Knutson? You are asking the wrong person on this episode. I, I think I should be asking you <laughs> that question. Like, I'm I'm just over here headbanging and air guitaring and getting psyched for this. Yeah. I am nervous for this one. I'm always a little bit nervous before an interview, but this is... I mean, she's played, she played the fucking Super Bowl, everybody. It's huge. <laughs> Jennifer Batten. I, I don't want to, she didn't play the Super Bowl. She played, I think, the highest viewed, I don't know if it is still a Super Bowl of all time. That one, as far as live audience, because that was before you could watch it later, you know, on YouTube or something. So yes. for live, actual live audience, I think in 80 countries, it has to be the largest international, I think 80 countries were tuned in live to that halftime show. Like 1.2 billion people. Yeah. Because she played guitar for Michael Jackson. Yeah. For all of his three tours. It just doesn't get any bigger than that. Unless you also go on tour for someone who I would say is top three to five best guitarists of all time in Jeff Beck. Yeah. Which she also did. Certainly. Another legend, Mm -hmm. right? So... She's just, she's a legend in her own right. I think a very underrated legend. Exactly. I wish more people talked about Jennifer Batten. Oh my God. We're going to talk a lot today about her solo work because I am just as guilty as everyone else. I I always knew who Jennifer Batten was. She was the woman just shredding up on stage with Michael Jackson and Jeff Beck with the huge blonde hair. A couple of music people that I've talked to before this interview, I've said, we're getting Jennifer Batten on, to which they say, who's that? Which is a goddamn shame. To which I say, do you remember all the Michael Jackson live videos where there was the woman with the huge hair just shredding? Oh my God, her? Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows her. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think like even even within guitar circles of like absolute fret nerds and guitar nerds she's still one of those obscure names that once you like clue in you know michael jackson jeff beck then people oh like everyone knows who she is she's just not one of those names that like flies off the tip of the tongue right away and i don't know why exactly it needs to because she played with jeff beck she played with jeff fucking beck on stage for two years that's insane yeah But what I want to talk about a lot today with her that I bet, unfortunately, she probably doesn't get asked enough about is her solo albums. She has three solo albums, all three completely different, all three Mm -hmm. Mm un-fucking-believable. Crazy good. Yeah, I think you definitely, because they were, what, 92, 97, and uh, then she took a, a, like, 10-year gap before the next one. Yeah. Well, I think after 97 is when she got with Jeff. And started touring yeah. with Beck. I mean, if you look so, at yeah. how the albums kind of lined up with some of the tours she was doing or about to do or just came off of, 
it's really interesting to see some of the juxtaposition listening to some of her stuff versus Michael's stuff. And then you can see how she landed the Jeff Beck gig. A lot of, a lot of similarities. I think when you see her and Jeff go toe to toe on some tunes where they're trading solos and things stylistically i think like she fit really well like i don't think i agree picked another guitar player because that was my initial thought when when i sat down and i was thinking about what are we going to talk about in this interview that makes it more unique than just what was it like to play for michael jackson because that's another thing as a guitar player she must be constantly bewildered that i guarantee you in 95 percent of her interviews people are wanting to talk about michael jackson oh i'm sure second to jeff beck i'm sure which is insane i'm sure if you look at like every photo and vhs tape of her during that 35 years with i mean it's 35 years she spent like three decades with michael and then she's always the mm-hmm. person standing like right next to him doing all those solos they trade glances looks at each other yeah i think a lot of people take that as an opportunity to get an insight into michael that maybe the media doesn't cover because they're assuming that close proximity that's a good point i I think though it's probably a little misplaced and an assumption that she knows a whole ton about i think michael was still a fairly private person and and it's still a gig and i i would bet that she and we can ask her i guess i bet she's such a professional she she wasn't there to dig into his personal life and get to know what his favorite movie was no things like that it was and that's what i'm interested i just i never have been the type of person that i don't care about michael jackson's personal stuff i want to know what it was like to tour with him i want to know if it was him leading everything if they had a band leader if he did the auditions for her if he was very uh he seems like the type of guy that could be one of two ways either very trusting of the people that he has hired in their genius or very hey jennifer batten at three minutes into this song i want you to step over here and start soloing like this so i can walk over well i mean if you if you see how much stuff blows up on a michael jackson stage like pyrotechnics and stuff <laughs> there's probably some it might not yeah. be in him but i bet somebody's like you need to stand right here so your head doesn't get blown <laughs> yeah. off by this rocket that's about to <laughs> launch <laughs> stuff like that i'm extremely intrigued by but i'm way more intrigued by You know, Jeff Beck is one of the most experimental, off-the-cuff, never-know-where-he's-going guitarists ever. How the hell do you play with that? How do you get used to being on stage with somebody like that that you never know where they're going or what's going to happen? jazz fusion. I think of her very much as a jazz guitarist. When I think of what she plays, listen to her Hmm. solo stuff, it's like the rock side of jazz, that fusion between the two. But Mm -hmm. you listen to what she's playing but it's and it's so jazzy yes yeah her chords her oh so i think totally that jazzy. that underlying interest in jazz probably helps a ton when you're playing with someone like jeff who also comes up with some really jazzy stuff yeah. and he's he's way out there experimental wise and like a spaceman guitar player yeah he's like an explorer yeah you've done all that you could have the biggest ego right the biggest ego i played with Jeff Beck. I toured with Michael Jackson for three tours. I'm not doing your right, 2000 right. person podcast. No, thanks. But she seems like, you know, like not only she seemed like such an awesome human being, a, a generous human being, obviously generous with her time with mm-hmm. us today. She's a teacher. Uh, she had that cloud guitar symposium. She's a clinician. So I think 
passing on knowledge and passing on the craft is kind of in her blood a little bit. And I mean, she came from that back. She was a teacher before the Jackson gig, right? I I believe. I know that she has a lot of ties to the Guitar Institute of Technology, which I think that's now the Musicians Institute. Musicians Institute. Yeah. But it was, I think it was way more prominent when she was younger. Back then, yeah. They didn't have drums and bass. It was just guitar back then. Yeah. And it it was massive In like the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you could play those giant shows, giant audiences with giant legends and still keep that heart of, you know, wanting to pass something on to the little guy, to the the people that are up and coming, the listeners that might be interested. And how how do you do that with your career? I love it when people take an interest kind of passing on their knowledge and what they what they can share about their craft. I'm not going to concentrate on it too much because I'm not the type of person that it shouldn't fucking matter what your sex is. But there has to be so many more unique challenges being a female in her field at the time when how many female guitarists were playing with people like Jeff Beck. Absolutely. If, I wouldn't know, but if it has gotten any easier in today's world, it would be because of people like Jennifer Batten blazing a trail. I mean, she might not have been a first. There's definitely examples out there. Um, I know, you know, like Prince Tours. And yeah, there's a few going back to like the 80s of trailblazing women. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was right there. Our future interview for the next rotation, spoilers, we talked to a touring female musician and we talk a lot about how There was a lot of interest there in both a what it's like touring in that environment where it's not the drugs and the party and the we get drunk and we go on stage. It's the we have kids. We're going to have fun on stage and then we're going to go eat some barbecue with our families. And then the other aspect is very proudly she has an all female band in Nashville that she's touring with. And very simple stuff that should be easy to do that is not simply because she's a female and 30 years ago, it would have been, I feel, 10 times harder to do that as a musician. Right. I don't want to get into it too much before we get Jennifer's take on it, but I have a huge respect for the path that Jennifer took because there's definitely several ways to success, I think, and several ways to navigate that environment as a, as, as a woman in the industry. And she leaned hard into her talent and her music. There aren't that many interviews I could find with her, but she received an award in 2016. She received an award from from a network. It's called the Women's International Music Network. I think it's kind of the equivalency of a Lifetime Achievement Award for what she did as a female. And she's just so... That speech was when I could really tell that she just has this presence. She's cool. She's not going to be fucked with. Being in an industry that I'm sure was 99.9% male back then, I am sure that she walked into a room and everybody knew right away, I'm here to play guitar. I'm awesome. Don't mess with me. This very cool, cool vibe that I was super into. Yeah. You had said something interesting as well when we were talking about what and how we want to ask her. One thing that you said that I liked a lot is that she kind of did her career backwards. (laughs) Explain what you meant by that, because it's true. I like how that's put. I wouldn't mind getting her take on, although I'm not sure how to approach the question, but simply, if you look at, you work up to the 40,000 seat arena tour. To Wembley. Right? You, you yeah. You, yeah you, that's kind of usually later in your career after you've done a few other things. Yeah. Um, she started out there. Like, yeah. With Michael Jackson 
three tours and then went on, not that Jeff Beck is in any way a step down. I think in a lot of ways, it's a step up music-wise, perhaps, challenge-wise for a guitar player, but also a much narrower format as far as genre and exposure. so Well, as far as touring, it doesn't matter how talented you will never get as big as Michael Jackson. Right. Michael Jackson is as big as it can possibly get. Yeah. So, I mean, audience-wise, I'm sure paycheck-wise, I'm sure there's a lot of things that come along with touring with Michael Jackson that no one else is going to match later on in your career. So I think that's kind of what I meant mm-hmm. by, like, backwards, not not in any way to be offensive. No, I don't. I think it's true that it, for a career with so many highlights, for really the first key was touring with the biggest pop star of all time. Yeah. That's a pretty big, not first gig, but first notable gig or first biography gig, if you will. Yeah. That's insane. And, then, <laughs> I, and it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to keep saying it's huge. I think it's probably why every interview she does, everywhere that she goes, it's so hard to move past that into everything else she's done in her career, just because that's such a monster everything worldwide. Yeah. You know? Huge tour, huge music the musicians i mean it wasn't just michael that was huge uh you got like ricky lawson the band that played with michael not you know and i'll say it again just go listen to her solo albums and ask yourself why the fuck don't people talk about that because that's what people should be talking about her solo albums are crazy and that's kind of a good segue into the fact that she is now waiting so let's not keep her we will be right back with the guitar legend Jennifer Batten. Jennifer Batten is with us. Jennifer, thank you. I thank you so much for talking to us. You have no idea how much this means to us. Sven, I would say definitely the most fun I've had researching for an episode. I can tell because of your messages several times a day. <laughs> We've yeah. been messaging back and forth leading up to this. Um you know, oh, did you know this? Did you know, you know, did you check out this? Go listen to this. In the last few weeks, we've both probably learned a ton and have so much that we want to know and talk about. Um, it's an honor and pleasure to have you on and over the top um, excited and nervous. I don't know if you can tell, I'm shaking <laughs> a little bit. Take a deep breath. <laughs> I really want to get into things from the beginning and we can talk about whatever you do or don't want to talk about. I will tell you right up front what most fascinates me after researching for the last month or so is your solo work. I I think your three studio albums are, they're incredible. And to me, I want to get it out early and often to our listeners that everybody should be listening to these albums because all three of them are incredible. 
Well, thank you. You picked up guitar really early, eight years old. Did you just know right then that that was it for you? <laughs> well, no, it took another four years to announce to my mother that that was what I wanted to do <laughs> for a living. <laughs> at, at a mature 12 years old, I announced it to her and she said, well, you know, honey, that's a very competitive business. And when you're 12, that doesn't mean anything. And I have often, you know, when I arrive in a foreign airport with a broken guitar or missing luggage, I just go, man, if I'd only listened to her. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you count as your earliest influences? Oh, God, when I was eight, it would be the Beatles for sure. Ah, nice. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was mm -hmm. one of the millions of Americans um, sitting in front of the TV when they were on the Ed Sullivan show. It was magical, you know, the whole, I was in a tiny town in upstate New York and all of my friends were into the Beatles and every time a new record would come out, it was like the biggest deal. We'd go to somebody's house and listen to it and stare at the cover and the credits and it was just, <laughs> just a, another time, shall we say. <laughs> Yeah, you went to you went to the Guitar Institute. It's now the Musicians Institute, Music I think, right? Yeah, I was in the third class they ever had. And at the very beginning, there was 60 students wow. total. I was the only female in the class, which I found shocking on day one. The guy that started it, Pat Hicks, used to do guitar seminars, traveling seminars with Howard Roberts, who was a monster jazz player and big mm -hmm. session guy. And then I think they got tired of touring. And so Pat wanted to start a school. And I still haven't read his whole book. He wrote a book of the story of it. And he didn't have a clue what he was doing. I mean, he, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this story. He started the school, the very first one. They had all these learning modules with cassette tape recorders and timers and all this stuff. And it wasn't ready day one. So the students had to build their own. And he also found out, I think he rented a like an apartment. So the, the fire brigade comes in two days before school's supposed to start and go, uh, this is not legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So he had to find another place in two days or a week or something. And so I'm really glad I wasn't in the first or second class, but the, the third class was magical. There was three teachers, Joe DiOrio, who just passed away a week or so he ago. He just passed away in February. February. Yeah. yeah, he was he was my favorite, man. I was, I was so into him, and a lot of what he taught is really part of my playing. D did you take lessons directly from DiOrio? They were the teachers at GIT. It was wow. the Guitar Institute of Technology. So yeah, yeah, we had classes with them every day. And Don oh, Mock, uh, at that time, there was two bebop guys, Joe and Ron Day, And uh, Don Mock was the fusion guy. You know, that was at the time That's of awesome. Al DiMiola and George Benson's Double Live album. And mm -hmm. written our Larry Carlton, they were all doing fusion records at the time. I was wow. all up in it. Listening to you tell that story and then listening to a lot of the things that you've played in your career and, and your solo stuff, stuff with Jeff Beck. Seems like you're way into the jazz fusion side of things, but probably the biggest gigs you did were pop music, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, with Michael. I was going to ask what the evolution was between those genres, but it sounds like you started out from the fusion jazz side. Did Was there ever a, ever a moment where everything that was huge, they were just like, I'm just playing stuff that's way too simple. Like, did you get bored? It, it's kind of funny where your mind goes and uh, how ignorance can slap you in the face. You know, I, the benefit of having been in that zone and I had worked out this solo for John Coltrane's Giant Steps that I had done yeah. a demo 
Whoa. Um, before I got the Jackson gig, so that I tapping was, solo is yeah. it's inc- that I just I've been I've watched your symposium on um, <laughs> it, Cloud Symposium or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I was really working on music that was a lot more difficult than Michael Jackson music. So that ignorance of not having been in that genre just kind of worked as a benefit because I thought, wow, this is just pop music, right? And I worked my ass off to get the parts super accurate and make sure I had my shit together. And after a couple of weeks, when we had the show down, Greg Fellingaines goes, okay, we got the show down. Now let's focus on groove. And I will never forget that moment. It's like, wow, am I not grooving? You know, I always take it on me. Is it me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's any genre that you get into, there's yeah. a thing. you got to absorb yourself in it. you got to do full immersion. James Brown used to take his band and do a simple groove for an hour straight because, mm-hmm. you know, about the 30 minute mark, you hit this pocket that is the ideal of what you want to get to. I mean, 99% of the focus of the Jackson thing, yeah, I played Beat It. That was 16 bars in two and a half hours. The rest <laughs> of it, it was about groove. When I did the audition, you know, I learned a whole bunch of tunes and walked in and there was no band. And the only guidance I was given was to play some funky rhythm. And so that's what I started doing. And then I soloed after that. So they just had you come in and play by yourself on your own? Yeah. Wow. You know, at that time, though, Van Halen was huge, 1987. And so Mm -hmm. every single band, and I was in five different original bands in Hollywood, every single band had an interruption moment for the guitar player. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) So I was I was actually pretty comfortable playing on my own. Was it like a panel of people or was it just you and a music director? Or? Thank God it was not a panel of people. No, it was <laughs> um, a guy with a video camera. And Michael looked at the videotapes each night. They auditioned a bunch of people. And, um, you know, a couple of days wow. later, I got a call that said, Michael was interested. Why don't you come down and rehearse with the band and see how it goes? Wow. Wow. Is it true that at some point you re-showed or taught Eddie Van Halen, the beat it solo. It's true. It's true. I will say I it, love that. Take, <laughs> it did not take much effort to do that. He remembered it pretty quickly. But, um, you know, he went in and recorded that and never played it with Van Halen. So several years mm-hmm. went by. I think he probably recorded it. I, I want to say 83, 84, maybe three years go by. You're not going to remember what you did. Yeah. Now is the time where when I do sessions, everybody wants a video. It's such a pain in the ass because I don't remember what I did. I have to go back and learn it and memorize it and shoot it and I'll never play it again. I would definitely pick up from listening to your solo work and watching you on stage with Beck that you are very much the type of guitarist that you are not going to want to do the same thing more than once. Yeah. You know, when when I first started playing out after my first album, I, I was playing the solos that were on the record and it's just, it sounds stiff because it's mm. premeditated and it's, it wasn't fun. So I stopped. And that was above, below and beyond, right? Yeah. Which I love. For those of you, please go listen to it. It's this mix of originals, but there's also the coolest covers on that album 
There's this kind of heavy, but still kind of bluesy rendition of Respect. Just amazing guitar and vocals. Shirley Garden, who sings on it. There's tracks on there that are unbelievable. Well, I I got panned for doing that. Somebody thought it was sacrilege that I would redo an Aretha song in a rock way. So. Really? Well, there's always those people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the hater. The, the hater, yeah. I love that. I think it's amazing. Um, well, thank you. You got two versions of the Coltrane tune on there, too. Giant Steps, uh, the jazz and the rock version. That was the first thing I dug into because I was a saxophone major in college. And when I saw Giant Steps, I said, is it just the same song title? Is that actually the Coltrane chart? And that was probably the first thing I listened to out of all your solo work. And from there, it was just like a rabbit hole. <laughs> a Jennifer Batten rabbit hole that I went down. That Well, that was a challenge, you know, and I sadly, all that took place long before the smartphone and YouTube and all that. And yeah, I went back and I wanted to put up a video on my YouTube channel. Like everybody became an instant YouTuber during lockdown, you know, mm -hmm. I go, yeah. okay, that's what I am now. <laughs> and Man, I, I can't play it that fast anymore. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> you started to touch on this. I want to talk a little bit more about it because my biggest interest in doing those tours is knowing what it was like on a night to night basis as far as did you have a band leader? Was Michael the band leader? Was it pretty strict on hey, at minute three of this song, make sure you're standing here? Or was it pretty casual? Like, what was what was what what were those tours like? I, it was extremely choreographed. And Greg Fillingaines was the musical director. Michael, especially on the, the bad tour, he'd record every rehearsal and watch them at night. Which, oh, wow. Man, that's the last thing I'd want to do after I'm done. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he was a perfectionist and he, he wanted it right. So he would call Greg either late at night or in the morning and say, I want these changes. And so Greg would work with the band for a couple hours before we even saw Michael the next day and the changes would be done. And one of the things I remember is Thriller, he kept changing the key he wanted to sing it in. Because, oh. you, you know, you can sing at a certain pitch when that's all you're doing in the studio. But when you add dance on top of it, there were several songs that he pitched down, like Beat It was down to C. So I had a special tuned guitar just to do that, which was wow. kind of a nightmare. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Well, and not just dancing, like his dancing is the ultimate in aerobic yeah. cardio workout. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. And also there was costume changes, a lot of costume changes and pyro cues. And so everything had to be the same songs in the same order every night. So this was more musical theater than like rock yes. show, right? I yeah. mean, like I didn't really think about that until I had that god awful get up for the history tour, and I go, "Oh Jesus!" You know. <laughs> That's when Some I go, Cirque "Okay." Soleil stuff there. <laughs> I am a theater member here. <laughs> I got a unique, maybe pain in the ass question. What was a cooler venue, Wembley or the Super Bowl? <laughs> Um, well, my memories of the Super Bowl are more fun because it was a once in a lifetime thing. 80 nations tuned in. I think it's the highest viewed ever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think mm -hmm. one and a half billion people watching that, you know, because that was before TiVo. So you either <laughs> if you're in Europe, you stay up till three in the morning to watch it or you're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only time I ever saw Michael nervous. I really felt like. I mean, can you imagine really? the pressure? Oh, yeah. It only happens once. There's no redos. It has to yeah. happen. There was a few goofs. <laughs> it's amazing to hear you say that he was nervous. When you think about someone that's performed since they were barely out of diapers. I mean, he's mm -hmm. eight years old and touring. You just assumed you'd never get nervous after you've done it that long. Having done it that long, you also have a history 
clocked in your mind of things that have gone wrong and things that could go wrong. Yeah. We also, as fans, we have this, once you reach legend status in our heads, well, that person doesn't feel actual feelings. Yeah. You don't think of things like nervousness. It seemed, I mean, when you look at the live videos and the pictures, it seemed like you two had a pretty tight stage relationship. Well, funny enough, if you look closely at any of those stills when I'm right up there with him, I was always looking him in the eyes and he was never looking me in the eyes ever. Wow. Yeah. I think it would distract him. I I remember one time at rehearsal on the band tour, we were doing something like don't stop till you get enough or something. And he was looking me in the eyes and he walked right towards me and he hung out with me for a minute. And when he turned around and walked to the front of the stage again, he was singing a completely different song. Wow. Same groove. You know, it could have been the same song. (laughs) After that, he never looked me in the eye again. Oh, wow. After that, we have your second album. Is it Tribal Rage Momentum? Is it just momentum? Momentum? You know, it's it's kind of like my refrigerator. I have so much shit on it, you know, and that's <laughs> that's just the way my mind works. It's, it's like too much stuff coming out. Um, Tribal Rage was kind of like the band and momentum is the name of the record, but I'm the only one that knows that. So go figure. That was the next project you did, which I'm going to say it again. Everybody, please go listen to. It's freaking incredible. It's this kind of... It kind of reminds me a little bit of, and I know guitarists don't like being compared to other guitarists, so that's not what I'm doing, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of what Steve Morse was doing with the Dixie Dregs in the 90s, and the band work is so fucking incredible in this album. The the drums, the holy crap. What was it like building this, which I think you recorded in LA, right? Yeah, I did. It was really fun because my first record, I had done it with Michael Sambello in his studio, and He had full control and I never won any arguments. (laughs) And he insisted on drum machines. I mean, even he would take live drums, the impulses from those and put different sounds on them. And thankfully the ADAT was invented during the time I was doing my first record. So that gave everybody freedom to record at home. So I was with Glenn Sobel and I'm really into African music and all kinds of different ethnic music. And that's kind of- It definitely shows. It shows in particularly this and in your next album for sure. That's what happens when a kid watches Tarzan every Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But it it was a real community with the three of us, with Ricky Walking and Glenn Sobel's gone on to, he's been with Alice Cooper for maybe 10 years now. Yeah. He's a monster good player. It was just the three of us with 100% creative freedom. I look back and go, God, those songs are long. You know, I probably should have edited them. That was before it was, you know, before digital. 
So it's mm-hmm. chopping stuff out would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. what it is. <laughs> I actually like them. Us music geeks don't get yeah. enough eight minute guitar songs anymore. <laughs> so we like it. <laughs> Back to the dregs, man. I was a huge fan. Oh, really? Rock and roll park. In fact, I got to play with them. It's unbelievable. They had a oh. reunion a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. It was one of those things like, I don't travel to see too many bands. I'll travel to <laughs> yeah. go see Jeff Beck, the dregs, you know, here about the reunion i'm like oh my god i saw that they were coming to denver or somewhere in colorado and when i went to get tickets it was sold out and i'm going shit where's the next place i can oh. go <laughs> and i think it was uh it was dallas i can't remember the chronology but i kind of know andy west and, oh, okay you know after i got tickets I, I think i might have asked him if i could say hi and he goes sit in and I'm going, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you went from, I can't get tickets to, hey, come play with to us. like. <laughs> I always buy my tickets. So I hate when people hit me up for that kind of stuff. So I always buy them. But anyway, I, you know, when I first saw the first half of the letter, I'm just like, oh, hell no. But at the end, he goes, sit in on something like Crossroads. And I go, oh, well, I can handle that. You know, I'm thinking, like, sit in on Rock and Roll Park or some ridiculous dregs tune. And Andy Timmons, I had just recently toured with him. He lives in Dallas, so the two of us sat in. You know, I was... I did okay at Soundcheck. But, of course, the nerves get up there when you're doing the real show. And I I don't care if I ever see the tape of it, but I'll take a photo. (laughs) We were talking about other guitar players, and I think that brings us comfortably to playing with Jeff Beck, who's at the very least top five guitar players of all time. How does that even happen? How did you... How how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, um, it was pretty magical, really. I just wanted an autograph. During the Bad Tour, Rory Kaplan was one of the keyboard players, and I made it known I was really into Jeff. He had done some tech work for Jeff, and he goes, oh, I'll, I'll hook you guys up. And then the bastard didn't do it. <laughs> you know, fast forward to the Dangerous Tour, I knew we were going to England, and I go, I know he's on this island somewhere. I'm going to find him. After every show that we did, there was always Sony reps there, and I I would ask them if they had any connection. And eventually somebody came through and got him VIP tickets to our show at Wembley, one of our many shows there. And two opening acts went on, and then Michael canceled. And I thought, of all the days, you got to be happy. That sucked. I thought he was in. I I thought he was probably in the VIP tent. 80,000 pissed off people are leaving the stadium. And the band got in a bus to go back to the hotel and everybody's made up with their makeup and it's obvious who they are. So they closed the curtains and I wasn't going to leave because Jeff was on the premises somewhere and I was so close. Ultimately, they had turned him away at the gate. He showed up late. He didn't want to see the openers. So I called him up and said, you know, I don't know when or if they're going to make up the show, but can I meet you anyway? And he said, yeah. And he invited me to a studio he was recording at the next day doing his Rockabilly record. Wow. It was kind of funny because, you know, I knew all of his music. I I learned everything on Blow by Blow and Wired, but I didn't know him as a person. So it was a little bit awkward. And thankfully, I had a couple of friends come with me that kept the conversation rolling. And at the end, the session was over and he drove me back to my hotel in his Batmobile, which, you know, he he was going so fast. I thought, man, if if I die in a fiery car crash, this is a really cool way to go. (laughs) With Jeff Beck, yeah. But I also gave him a copy of my first record that had just come out, and MTV in England was playing Flight of the Bumblebee video that I did cover. Oh, cool. 
they had just given me a copy of that along with an interview that they put on. So I gave those to Jeff. These are my offerings, and I thought I'd never see him again. And he called me up a month or two later and said, I finally had a chance to listen to your record. Let's do a record together. And I just pissed myself. That's <laughs> wow. amazing. Never in a million years thought that would happen. And, it, and then, of course, then the anxiety begins. And it, we actually didn't get together for another five years. And I would see him at different uh, tours. He did a, a tour with Santana and somebody else in the meantime. And I would see him backstage and he'd go, you know, we're still going to do this thing. And I thought, man... I know how it sure is. Sure we are. Yeah. Inspired. <laughs> You're just saying that because I'm in your face. Well, mm. he called and we did a tour of Italy. It, it was amazing. Really amazing. I do want to ask, even just playing with Jeff Beck and hearing your style, it's a lot similar to me in that Jeff Beck is such a experimental, never know where he's going to go kind of guitar player. How do you even play with that when you're both extremely good guitar players the feels just there how do you play on stage with that when you never know where it's going <laughs> well i i saw my job as support to supply 99 percent of the show a, a reliable support so that he could soar and go wherever he wanted you know it wasn't going to be this rickety thing like oh let's experiment with this over here i didn't do exactly the same thing every night of course but yeah just supplying support for him i remember one time it was the strangest feeling before this leg of the tour in Europe, he had broken his finger and didn't know it. He oh. went to a doctor and the doctor didn't even do an x-ray. He just oh. moved the finger and said, no, it's not broken. He does the entire tour in pain and finds out it's broken after the tour. And oh. you know, then the bones were trying to knit in the wrong way. So he went through hell with that. Oh. But I, I remember one night he was playing with such intensity. I just had this vision that he was just going to leave the band behind and ascend outside of the building. <laughs> you know, it's just... Oh, wow. <laughs> just take off to yeah. another planet. Yeah. Yeah. Your humility, because you, you talk about support so that he can soar, but there's definitely video evidence and audio evidence. You could stand on your own on that stage right next to Jeff. Uh, there was definitely... I think I was just before this watching um, you and him doing the blue wind mm. your solos are i mean it's it's you're right there well thank you i, I was lucky he gave me a, a couple spots to improv but man i mean he is he is as good as you get uh, you yeah. know i don't see myself on that level i just work at it that's all i have a very random question because i i went to the fact page on your website which is just jenniferbatten.com go check it out I just strolled through it and I stopped because I kind of wanted to ask you some of the questions here. But one of the questions that is very random that's on your page, it's all these questions about touring and guitar, what equipment to use. And then all of a sudden there's a cat litter question. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what the hell is up with that? <laughs> uh, just thinking outside the box, just uh, trying to throw throw somebody a curve you know because it's it's such a, a common thing like what kind of picks do you use what kind of strings do you use and all this stuff that really has nothing to do with nothing and then um, yeah just putting the cat litter thing is humor <laughs> you know i mean that's that's probably the number one thing that jeff and i have in common is humor all of his best friends are comedians pro comedians mm. and we would watch things after every show depending on what tour it was, he would get on the bus and turn on the intro to Austin Powers. And, <laughs> you know, the Quincy track. Yeah. 
Just he thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And then another one was the rabbit scene in Monty Python. Oh, the killer <laughs> rabbit. In Japan, he had a horrible time with jet lag over there. And we'd, we'd stay up for a couple hours after the show. And we'd put on uh, Robert Tilden, who's, who's this evangelist preacher. And somebody yeah. had put the most brilliant fart noises behind it. And <laughs> we would just watch that every single night and kill ourselves laughing. That's a, actually a really good segue into your third album, because there's a song called Inner Journey that <laughs> is predominantly f- farting and belching. <laughs> you know, I, I cannot understand why that damn song didn't go viral. But yeah, <laughs> Inner Journey sounds like a spiritual song, but it's it's all sampled with burps and farts and nasal noises. And my best friend is supreme with nasal noises that I, I couldn't do myself. So, you know, I had to hire help. <laughs> You had to bring in a nasal noise person. I like that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, I use like a $2,000 microphone to do the, the arm fart that <laughs> it, it was just magical. The way it turned out, it w- turned out to be so melodic that that was the theme of the song. <laughs> That's so <I> good. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you a, a little backstory from that too is when we were on one of the tours i think it was the first tour with jeff and after a show we would typically go to a bar and we shut down this bar and the the sound engineer started doing arm farts and of course cleared the room and then we all were doing it for an hour and then it became a thing (laughs) every single night after the show as soon as the show was over we would go backstage and time each other on how long you could do an arm fart without laughing (laughs) and you know at first it was three seconds four seconds i mean this went on for months and i'm pretty proud and my mother would be too that i became the tour winner at 45 seconds i don't even know how that's possible (laughs) you know i didn't either but the thing is when you think of those pearl divers that can be under for two minutes which sounds ridiculous your lungs you can train them (laughs) if there was ever a record to hold that would be one of them yeah, I'm pretty proud. I should have a plaque on the wall, but sadly not. <laughs> that comes off of your third album, which is called Whatever, uh, which came out in 2007? 2007. All three of your albums are so different. This one is so experimental. You were talking about how you're a big fan of tribal music and that sort of thing, which is pretty prominent here. But this is the one that I'm most fascinated with because you wrote these songs you produce this album and it's to me by far the most experimental and in a good way as a listener you're never quite comfortable listening to it i've listened to it like three times this week alone i love it how do you come up with a project like that that is just so unique and experimental from beginning to production well the engine behind that whole thing was jeff i wrote all almost all that material for him when i was with him and he's oh, he's wow. got an endless voracious appetite for for new riffs, new grooves, new tunes. And I, when I was with him, pretty much every waking moment that we weren't touring, I was writing tunes for him. Whatever is the tunes that didn't make his record. And I tell you, wow. that in the aftermath, he actually recorded it, and it was so close to making his record. And I was so distraught when it didn't. It actually turned into a song called Loose Cannon. 
different melody. But I, I think that's the best song I've ever written. It's it's the first ballad I've ever written. Most of my oh, songs are yeah. fueled by caffeine, and this was fueled by Southern <laughs> I will say that there is a song right in the middle of that album called Fearless that is, it's all this unique instrumental work, and then all of a sudden, smack dab in the middle, there's this beautiful melodic acoustic song, Fearless. That's a great song. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I got inspired by detuned acoustic stuff, which I I hadn't done since I was about 11 or 12, detuning stuff because once the floyd rose came in you know the the nut is locked and it's a pain in the ass to to change the tuning yeah but it's it's kind of it was fun because when you play a detuned guitar everything goes out the window all your fingerings all your patterns all your chords you have to go 100 percent by sound so it was a fun experiment that way the whole record um i was watching jeff in well i was on two records uh, who else and you had it coming and at that time, he started working with Andy Wright. I got to experience where you had it coming, especially. They had a drum programmer, one of the hot guys in London who was doing the most badass grooves. And he was in one studio room. And when he was done with the groove, he'd send it across to Andy and Jeff. And Jeff would just react to it. And that became the record. And the producer was really quick at hearing what could be a hook out of Jeff's mm-hmm. improv. And he would just cut and paste and that became the record and it was really inspiring. And so I can't believe how much money I spent on Pro Tools, but everybody was doing it back then. <laughs> just <laughs> ridiculous amounts of money that, you know, now you can do the same shit in your smartphone for free. <laughs> so I got really, really inspired um, using samples. That's where that whole thing came from. It was totally being inspired by that situation and having Jeff in mind for all those songs. It's a fantastic album. I've listened to it a lot. I'm going to keep listening to it. You've written a couple of guitar books. You Do you teach? I do, but I, I don't typically have any long-term students because I'm always going on the road and the momentum breaks and I kind of get bored with teaching too. You know, I'm, I'm, there are teachers that will take you by the hand and go, okay, we're going to learn this song for the next four weeks. And I'm more philosophical. I want to teach you to fish. I don't want to be mm. pulling fish out of the water for you for three years. You know? <laughs> so I'll, I'll philosophize and show people hopefully what they want. And one of the things I do that's just does not serve me at all is – I'll do a maybe a half hour lesson with somebody and then I'll spend the next 45 minutes gathering stuff for them and sending them PDFs and videos and all this stuff. And so I screw myself financially. <laughs> Doing twice twice the amount of work. I do. And I for free. I know I, and I try to stop myself and it doesn't ever work. So there you go. Kind of going along with that with talking about maybe getting a little bit bored and stuff. You've been very humble in this interview, but watching you play, listening to your studio albums, you are a beyond incredible guitarist. Oh, when you get you so to much. that when you get to that level, particularly when, you know, you're touring, you're trying to come up with new music, when you are that good at something, how do you stay fresh? How do you not get bored? How do you find the new thing that you want to work on? Because I feel like at some point it could get monotonous. Well, I I think 
everybody over time has the doldrums like, ah, oh, God, I'm sick of my playing. That's one of the things that keeps you going. When you get sick of your playing, it kind of kicks you in the ass like, ah, I need something new. And especially now with TikTok, I can't even go on that app without getting my ass kicked by somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> They're always like eight years old, right? Like right, some exactly. prodigy in like India or something, like super young, <laughs> just shredding. Oh, it's it's insane! It's insane. You know, I had uh, during the pandemic, I had the Guitar Cloud Symposium, and I had different guests on every month. And I had Steve Vai on one time, and it just kind of surprised wow. me because you know that guy's ridiculous. He he put out a video uh, maybe six months ago where. He had had shoulder surgery, so he only played with his left hand, and it was just ridiculous. Oh, wow. It's all the hammer-ons. And... It's like Muhammad Ali kicking somebody's <laughs> ass with one arm. <laughs> just ridiculous. Anyway, he had said that the younger generation coming up today is taking music to a whole other level beyond what he's capable of. And you think, like, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's well, fantastic, kind of, though. All you can do is be yourself and, and try to dig deep and bring your own personality into something. Because you're never going to be the fastest. You're never going to be the, the most intense at playing changes or whatever aspects of music. And I, I find that the inspiration comes in variety. I've been doing this for a dozen years, but I do a solo multimedia show where I, I cut films and I play in sync with the tracks, basically. And always coming up with new tunes i've been doing a lot of covers because i'm i'm so burnt on travel and broken guitars and misconnections and all that crap that i want to stay the hell home and so <laughs> I'm, I'm putting a great amount of effort into the solo show just launched a duo show so i add a singer halfway through to take it to another level i'm trying to get into the wineries in the northwest there's about a thousand or probably more than that of them up here yeah and and then I had I started a cover band just before the pandemic, so I'm trying to have all this different stuff available. That is, is your cover band. Is that the one? Um, is that full steam? Is that the one you're talking about? Because I I stumbled up upon this, and you guys are all like in steampunk gear, and you've oh. got some pretty awesome musicians playing with you in that project as well. It's it's local for the Northwest. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get away from touring, so. Well, I'm in Vancouver, Washington, so I can go to some oh, sure. of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we just played at the Ponderosa a couple of weeks ago um, because oh, my wow. Russian tour is now canceled. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of things coming up in May that we're doing back at the Ponderosa and Billy Blues. Well, the Billy Blues would be closer to you. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're doing 80s covers. The more time we spend together, the more, obviously, it gets better and the more creative. And the last thing that we added, because it, we're trying to get people to dance. So the last thing we added was the most ridiculous disco medley you can imagine. And <laughs> we start with this bossa nova thing just so people go, what the hell is this? You know, it's just for like 15 seconds. And then we kick into... Casey and the Sunshine Band, um, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. We got Rapture in there a little bit. And then Morris Day. That music is so fun. Yeah. The Bird. You know, we do a breakdown and get everybody oh. doing The Bird. What? <laughs> oh, this is fun. Yeah, well, that's what I want it to be. And, and also, just to put a spin on it and for me to have more fun with it, I'm adding more and more instrumental stuff. But it's super pop. So I'm doing Britney Spears, instrumental guitar. I did Rolling in the Deep is another one. Nice. Trying to take it somewhere different that you're not going to hear from your average 
cover band. I'll have to look out for that. Where's the best place for people to find where you're going to be playing? On my website. Okay, so jenniferbatten.com. Perfect. Nice. I have one more pain in the ass question to yeah. ask you. Do you have a favorite guitar song of all time? Uh, it would be two. And they're both by Jeff Beck. The ballads, Because We Ended As Lovers and Good by Pork Pie Hat. Oh, that's fantastic. Those two. I try to get it. any guitar player that's serious about expression needs to learn those two. It's like going to school for the most wicked sounds, the most wicked bends and harmonics and just emotion. It, it's not any chopster stuff. It's not going to be anywhere near Ingve, any of that. But <laughs> that stuff stays with you. You know, it makes you feel something. The stuff you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I do have to ask, this is kind of rewinding a little bit about staying fresh, though. Just practice these days. What's that like for you? Is it just when you, you're rehearsing for a tour or with the bands that you're playing with, is that enough? Or are you woodshedding at home on your own? Um, oh, God. I, you know, it's it's interesting. Joe DiOrio, there's somebody. I went to every single gig that he did when I was at guitar school and plus a, like a year after that. And I basically asked him the stupid young kid questions like, how long is it going to take me to get where you're at kind of stuff? And <laughs> he goes, man, I'm only on the first rung of the ladder. I, I'll never forget oh, that because wow. it was so shocking because you think it doesn't get better than that. Are you kidding yeah. me? It's not like you ever arrive anywhere with music. It's just a progression that happens for the rest of your life. Practice for me, sadly, these days, I spend a good hour watching the news, which I know is, is like eating dirt. It's not good for yeah, you. you it's know? not. But it's not I at all. are there uh, the whole time and running scales and actually more riffing than anything. I don't do the hours and hours of practice that I used to do because it fatigues my hands. So... The most energy I put in is whatever project is in front of me. I just finished two sessions, one for this incredible Finnish guitar player. He's known as Mr. Fastfinger. He's oh, amazing. Good thing to be called. Yeah. <laughs> and he is ridiculously fast and clean. And he asked me to play on a, a track that he did that's in seven and 10. And I spent the weekend doing that. And then I had another session from a guy in Italy. When I get sessions that come in providing they want me to play a solo, I'll put a loop on the solo section and just jam on it for a few days to get comfortable with it. It, it always seems like I got a project in front of me that I have to woodshed. You know, whether it's my own band, when I'm touring a lot, I'm, I'm not playing the cover tunes. So I, mm -hmm. I got to go over and over and over and always tweaking my sounds to get better and better for it. But it's amazing how, how much stuff just leaves your brain when you're not playing it every week. <laughs> it's Right. It's not fair, really. It seems like the the time that you put into it to learn it, it should just relearning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I use effects a lot. It's just part of the expression. The whammy pedal. Um, mm -hmm. In the last year, I've gone to the HX Stomp XL, and it gives you such a big capacity of altering your sounds and, and really dialing them in. And I've become a, a complete program nerd times ten. And the thing about it is you got to spend as much time memorizing where your foot goes and what oh, patches yeah. are coming up as the tune, playing and playing and playing and getting used to what you need to be doing. It's never been worse than with Jeff. I mean, because I, I was doing guitar oh, synth. Man. So I had all my guitar patches oh. and then I had all the synth patches. I always felt like we needed another week of rehearsal, but we didn't have it and we'd be out, <laughs> you know? 
because it, it, it takes repetition. It's not just knowing, oh, I need to hit patch 17 for this. It's you got to go over it and over it and over it and over it. A few weeks ago, we interviewed a bass player named Annie Clements, who does some big touring. And she put a synth, like a small synth on her bass. A so keyboard, that, like a keyboard. Like, like a keyboard oh, on wow. the bottom of her bass so she can play bass and then go down. And since so much stuff nowadays involves synth work, really, really cool stuff. You know, when you do a cover band, it's kind of like you have to cop the styles of, or get the sounds of 40 different tunes. Yeah. And everybody uses different gear. I hate going, well, I never go to see cover bands. You know, it's kind of funny that I am doing it. I haven't done it for 30 years. I have seen some cover bands, and when they don't have the sounds right on the record, I just want to slap them. Yeah. Like, don't be so lazy, because yeah. you figure that song was a hit because of all of the decisions that went into making the final track, including all the sounds. I can't even understand people that are into pedals. I want to kick in one button that changes everything. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be stepping on multiple pedals to get the sound that I want. Do you have anything else, Jennifer, you're working on? Uh, actually, now that most people don't even have CD players, I I'm trying to get rid of all my stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm doing a, a super blowout sale on the website, all of my truefire.com physical disc. I'm offering them signed for 10 bucks oh, and, and all my CDs. I also have downloads available there. And actually I just put up yesterday, the first book that I ever wrote was a transcribed solos of a jazz guitar player named Peter Sprague. It's oh. the guy that got me prepped to go to GIT because I flunked the test to get in. And I just digitized that and put it up for sale yesterday. It's some beautiful stuff. Really great melodic solos. Well, you will definitely get an order from me for the signed CDs because I want that. So okay. absolutely. Yes, absolutely. look for that. Jennifer Batten, you really are researching and studying your music for the last few weeks has been wonderful. We're very, very grateful that you took the time to talk to us. It's very evident by talking to you. You're a very awesome person. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're just talking to a guitar god, yeah. you know. But she's like so like not that. In, Chill. You know, you know, she doesn't give off that vibe. She's just like, I'm just this cool person that you're talking to. She is so chill. Yeah. I don't even know what to say after that. I was looking at the audio like waveform of the whole recording. I said like four things the whole time. <laughs> like it's all like blank and then like a little blip where Sven said something and then blank and or like laughed a little blip. <laughs> that's that's how you know it's a good interview though when the they just get going. Jennifer was just fantastic. We just talked to her and these musicians are so laid back. You know, we as fans think that we're annoying these people by making them come talk. And then you get mid-conversation, you kind of realize, no, I think they still, 30, 40 years of work, and I think Jennifer Batten still, you can see that spark in her eye when she starts talking about certain things. It's very cool. Oh, especially some of those stories. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can see her reliving some of, the, some of those moments, and it's like... Yeah. You get to go along on that ride with her. That was awesome. Well, one thing that I learned in this interview that I didn't really know before, which I probably should have researching, but I don't think I realized you could tell in the interview how much of a Jeff Beck fan she was before she started playing with him. Right. I just can't imagine being a guitar player and 
being a massive fan of a guitar god like Jeff Beck, and then you're touring with them for two years. I can't imagine that. I guess I kind of just assumed that it was more of like she'd cut her chops, then people knew her from the Michael Jackson tours. So, you know, she was already a name and Jeff needed a guitar. You know, the the personal connection, that story that she told, you know, kind of like chasing him down pretty much uh, yeah. just to meet him. And then, you know, how it still took a few years after that. And he calls her up and like, we're going to do this. Let's go. Sounds like they developed quite a friendship and it was more than just like the I go audition and I get hired it was well this Sven I guess that's it how lucky are we like seriously this is dumb this is yeah this is an <laughs> awesome awesome feeling awesome day I, I don't I don't know how we got so lucky and uh, thank know. you for chasing her down Jennifer Batten if and when you listen to this you're amazing we are forever fans uh, versecourseverse.com at versecourseversepod Go to jenniferbatten.com. She does have an Instagram and all that stuff, which I do think gets updated, but I think jenniferbatten.com seems to be the best place to go. I've got her shop open right here, freaking 10 bucks for a signed CD. And I'm telling you, these albums, whatever, Momentum, and then Above, Below, and Beyond are seriously incredible albums. Particularly, I mean, you'll like it no matter what, but if you're a musician, you will be in awe when you listen to these um Sven it was good to see you I feel I haven't done an episode with you in like six episodes yeah we you've had a, a busy last few weeks yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> me All too right. but it's always good to see you everyone verse course verse we love you we hope you enjoyed this amazing interview good night and good luck Bye.